0: Every person in their life has priorities. Uh, if you spend a day with a person, you probably find some priorities. Some people are morning people. They they, they get up and the idea of sleeping in, is like it's it hurts them. Uh, other people um, have certain other priorities. Um, some sleep is a priority. Others exercise is a priority. I mean, they won't alter their life for anything because why? Priority. Some people, I was introduced to this concept years ago. It's called FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early. I'd never heard of it. And this person, he was in his 30s, and he was like, uh, by 47, I think it was the thing, I'm going to retire. And he had it all laid out. And so, I mean, his priorities of purchasing and work and extra work and work for his spouse and work for his kids, uh, uh, the whole thing was laid out. And he had this target of 47, that's when he was going to retire. I may not share that exact uh, priority because I already missed 47, But the fact is, I admire people who have priorities. When we say that we're a church for the city, not too many people ever ask me, and so you can ask me, what would be the priorities of a church for the city? I want to talk about that today. Because every person has priorities and every church has priorities. And this text from God's perspective, tells you a priority that the church needs to have. It's not if you want to be trendy, it's not if you want to be cool, it's, if, it's none of that. It's if you want to be biblical, if you want to hear the heart of God, he tells you in this text, Psalm 78, a priority that God longs for. Now, why do I say the church? It's because the psalm is written not to an individual, but to a church. It was a prayer that was to be, it's a long one, about 70 some verses, So it's not a prayer that we would normally pray because we don't usually pray prayers that are, you know, five, six, seven minutes. But it is a corporate prayer. More importantly, it is a prayer that identifies from God's perspective things that he believes or thinks should absolutely be a priority for the church. Things that he thinks... Should be a priority not only for the church, but for your family. John MacArthur, I was watching when I was um, on the trip, and uh, I was watching an interview. Somebody sent me an interview. It was really a good one. It was about 45 minutes or so. It was an interview with John MacArthur. Now, there's so many things about him that I respect. He's 84 years of age, and he's still preaching. I respect that. He's been in the same church for 50 years. I, I highly respect that. And when they were interviewing him, he was talking about the gentleman asked him, said, John, you're 84 and you're, you know, you're towards the end of your ministry life. What are some of the priorities or things that you have for your life? Now, John is a just amazing writer. I can't imagine how many books he's written. So I expected to hear something about a new book. He's writing a commentary on the Old Testament. I know that. And he has a number of things. He goes, well, my priorities for the next year are the same priorities I've had for this entire ministry life. And that is children. I didn't expect to hear that out of John MacArthur. Uh, Not that, you know, I I had any prejudice against it. I just didn't expect that. Not at 84. 84. But he said, our church has a priority, always has had a priority, and that is we live in our church for the next generation. And he said this, because when I die, I want there to be a church that's vibrant for my grandchildren to take the mantle of, not specifically, but the generation. I think John adequately and rightly reflects the heart of this psalmist, He says, oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I'm not going to hide them. From what? From our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Psalm 78 is a prayer. It's a prayer for our church. That's what the Psalms all are. Their prayers, their prescriptions, their writings, their their primers, if you will, of praise and of prayer. And the writer of this psalm is writing and he's teaching the people and he's telling them, You have an assignment, you have a privilege, and in the prayer, it's not only a prayer, but it's also a teaching. And he says, you have an assignment from God. It's not a private prayer. It's not the kind of prayer that you pray at home. Every parent that I know of prays for their kids. When their kids are in the womb, they pray, dear God, would you allow our baby to be healthy? When they're born, would you, God, would you oversee the growth of our child? Would you help their health be perfect? Would you help us give wisdom to us, God, of where they're going to be educated? And when they grow, you pray, God, would you give them good friends? Would you help them to find friends? friends that stir something good in their heart and don't drag them down. And then when they get towards the end of high school, wherever they're educated, you pray, God, would you give my child wisdom? Would you help them choose whether or not they should go to college? And if they go to college, would you help them choose a good college? And God, if you're going to send them to college and take them, would you somehow find finances that we can utilize so that we can send them to college? And then you begin to pray, Lord, would you help them find a spouse? Well, one that's perfectly knitted for them. And if you're going to call them to celibacy, make it clear. And God, when your children start having children, you start to pray that prayer all over again. Every parent I know prays those prayers. And you add thousands of them to them. This is not a private prayer. This is not for you to necessarily go home. There's instruction here, but this is not the kind of prayer you pray at home. This is the prayer that we pray here at the church. This is a community prayer. And there's an implication in that that I think is really significant. To some of us, I think maybe we need to acknowledge Mom and Dad, you're not enough. As much as you want to be, you're not enough. Or they wouldn't have given us this prayer as a corporate prayer. It's not that you're insufficient. It's not that you're weak. It's not that, no, it's the fact that God never intended your children to be merely or purely or exclusively raised in your Christian home. Your children were meant for the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is meant to help raise your kids. That's why it's a public prayer to the church, to the people of God. Over the years, Carrie and I can, can say without hesitation, one of the greatest gifts that we've ever given to our children is to be a part of really healthy and vibrant churches. Our children have been so deeply and wonderfully shaped by other people We never imagined that this thing called parenting is something for us to do alone. We never imagined that we would educate our children alone. We never imagined that we would be the only mentors for our children. In fact, we freely and wonderfully invited godly people, even to this day. Some of the best advice our kids get is from the body of Christ. That's the implication of this prayer. It's a prayer to the church. It's not a prayer to the individual. It's not you, mom and dad. It's not you, grandma and grandpa. It's a prayer to the entire church. And it's a prayer about teaching. And it's a prayer about what? Prioritizing children in a church's life. In a few uh, minutes, we're going to go over here to the North Block. And, And your staff has wisely understood... There's probably not a, hardly a game over there for adults. You'll find a few. If you like running around in bathtubs and bubbles. But I'll tell you, your staff thought long and hard about your kids. Because when you bring your kids to church, our staff is interested that your kids are well cared for, taught well, loved well, and have a great time. And we don't see one of those as, you know, bad against the other. It takes a church to raise our kids. Just like it takes a community to raise our kids. Over the years, Carrie and I, have, our kids have been involved in a lot of different things. Athletics and, and, and robotics and a score of other things. And I've always marveled, even when I watch Upward here... And I, and I watch skills camp, what I marvel at is the number of people who are involved in coaching, reffing, leading skills camp that have no kids at these camps. And you can could, you could go out to the boys club, you can go to the YMCA, and you're going to find the same thing. There's this something in our spirit that God has created. And it's a beautiful thing that we understand the value and the importance of a community. And that's what he's writing here in Psalm 78. He says there is something that is significant in this community. And he prayerfully exhorts us, make children a primary focus of your ministry. What do you do with them? Well, there's two things. You teach them and you show them. You teach them and you show them. First of all, he tells them is what I want you to do is I want you to tell them stories, and that's actually what Psalm seventy eight is. It's stories, it's the stories of Ephraim, it's the stories of the nation of Israel, it's the story of David. And in every one of these stories, he is giving us the good and the bad. And he says, one of the things that you have to do as a church is to make sure that the children know the stories, both the good obedience and the bad disobedience. And he wants you to tell all kinds of stories from the scripture. He wants you to teach them about the good, not just stories from the Bible, but also stories from your life. stories are the narrative the, the narrative stories by which the entire nation of Israel educated their children way more through narrative stories than didactic teaching where they would sit them down and point one here's my outline tell the story of ephraim ephraim was a a tribe a nation a people the reality is God gave them assignments, and he gave them challenges of obedience, but the story as it unfolds, they disobeyed God, and they went into all kinds of disobedience, and sin begat sin, and, and then, but then God was gracious to them, and then God would warn them, and he tried to teach them about ingratitude, and he tried to teach them these things, but there was story after story, and what the psalmist is telling them is, is make sure that you sit around the campfire, make sure that when you go for a walk that you're telling your kids stories, the good and the bad, the benefits of obedience and the consequences of disobedience. And when you teach them, teach them God's truth. At the age of six, the young boys would go to a place called the house of the book why? Because he says in this text, there's been laws that have been given to you. So it's not just stories of obedience and disobedience. It's laws. It's principles that God has given to us. That he says in this text, I, I've given you these laws. I've given you these, uh, uh, these decrees, these statues for Jacob and established the law of Israel, which he commanded our forefathers. Verse 5. What were they? Well, from the men of Ephraim, verse 9, he says, Though armed with bows, they turned their back in the day of battle, and they did not keep God's covenant, and they refused to live by his laws. What happens when you turn your back on God? What happens when you betray loyalty to God? Your kids should know. They don't need to just hear victory stories. They don't need to hear just the stories of success. They need to be reminded of the stories of disobedience. That's going to be hard because you don't want to sully another person's name and you don't want to utilize a, a story of another individual and kind of rub them into the dirt but this is what God does and so maybe you want to stay in the scriptures but I think it's also helpful for your kids to know an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or somebody that you knew on your block and say you know what this person here's what happens when you disobey God here's what happens when you walk away from Christ here's what happens when you live dishonorably here's what happens When you don't have control over yourself and you don't know how to limit yourself with your alcohol consumption. Here's what happens when you break into all kinds of things and and hallucinogenic things and then you go and drive. This is what happens. And your children need to know that. And they need to understand what it means to honor God with your life. And they need to understand what it means to be a person of integrity And they need to understand what it means to be a person of compromised integrity and the consequences that come with that. We don't want to teach our children so that they become inflated or they become prideful. But we do want our children to understand that the laws of the harvest are real and you reap what you sow. And if you sow bad seed, you're going to reap that. And if you take your marriage for granted, you're going to reap that. And if you have priorities that don't align with God's word, you're going to reap that. At the age of six, they begin to teach called the house of the book. That's why my friends, your leadership here, Stephanie, her entire team, Jonathan, Caleb, up through Tyler, we focus On a scope and a sequence that gives your children a breath of the knowledge of the beauty and the glory and the strength of God. That's why every Wednesday night when you're tired and you don't want to go back out, I can understand that. But when you bring your kids and and your kids get the word of God poured into them, we we don't mean for one second to replace parents. Churches can never replace parents. Parents but we can partner with you. And our partnership with you is to tell the stories of God's greatness and to teach your children that they might know the beauty and the glory of obedience and the consequences of disobedience. So that they're equipped wherever they go to school, they're equipped wherever they are raised, they can understand and know how to make wise and good decisions. Does that mean that all of the education of your children of God happens here at the church? (laughs) Not even close. Not even close. But it does mean that you understand we're partnering with you. And this church will forever, as long as it has its current leadership, forever will make a priority to be children. Does that mean we don't care Does that mean that John MacArthur doesn't care about 84 year olds, which he is? Nah, not at all. We have ministries for all ages, but we will always have a priority for the next generation. Why? The reason is because every generation that comes behind you and me is at risk. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. If you were to tour Europe in the early 1900s, you would find that 72% of people in Europe attended church on a regular basis. What was that? At least three Sundays a weekend. 72%, if you were to tour Europe in the early 1900s, if you were to tour Europe today, what is the... Average attendance is less than 2% of people in Europe attend church. Now, I understand, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ. But what happens in a nation? What happens in a region? What happens in a country, in a continent, when you move from 72% attendance to a less than 2%? I'm killing all my mics today. If you've ever traveled Europe, then you understand what happens. You ever travel through Austria and through Denmark and through, uh, Uh, any of those countries you'll you'll understand you'll look at the values and you understand what happens and it's the same thing today and it's one of the dangers we have in our country today is that only 24 percent of churches identify children today as a priority in our country how do they get that determination by looking at the budget of the average church and what you've seen over the last 10-15 years even though Amazingly, 76 to 85 percent of all Christ followers make that decision before the age of 18. 75 to 86 percent of all Christ followers make the decision to follow Christ before the age of 18. And yet we have seen a steady decline in this country towards children. I wonder why. I wonder what has all of a sudden become such a great priority that we think that we can go against. Hundreds of years of statistics to let us know that the most beautiful and precious time for a child or for a person to come to, into a saving faith with Christ is before the age of 18. And yet we as churches are seeing this incredible decline of investment in children. Statistically, it doesn't make sense. Biblically, it doesn't make sense. Researches show today That the generation of children is the most overlooked in terms of decreasing in budget. When we say that we're a church for the city, next weekend we're going to do Surf Salem. We're going to go out to probably 20-some different sites. There's going to be two to 300 people who gather and invest and love this city. It's a beautiful Saturday. I will go to great lengths to not miss this Saturday. I love participating in it. I love serving with you. I love being a church for the city. But my friends, that's just one expression. And it's not a bad expression. But I would have to tell you it's not our highest priority. Our highest priority is being a church for the city. Is to do exactly what this text says so that the next generation would know the statutes of God and even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers who were stubborn and rebellious, but rather they would be obedient. Any church that wants to survive is going to make that choice. It doesn't mean we don't care about people my age. I now get discounts for my age. It's a beautiful thing. I got a discount to go to the Polk County Fair. It was a glorious thing. I love discounts for being elderly. I'm not offended when the church says we're going to make a priority. Doesn't mean exclusively. But I'm not offended at all. In fact, if the church didn't make children a priority, I wouldn't be able to be a part of it. Because I can't live for my generation. I love my generation, I like hanging out with my generation. But we must invest in the next generation. Why? Because they're at risk. They're always at risk. You know what the risk is? That we will get selfish. That we will focus on ourselves. That we will forget our assignment. And if you want a lasting impact, that's why I believe John MacArthur at the age of 84 said, What's ahead for me and our church? The same thing that's always been we will have the most vibrant children's ministry that we can. On one of our midweeks recently, it was made known to you that probably at least 50% of your staff was led to Christ here at this church. When they were children, they were raised here. They were mentored here. They were trained up here that that is an extremely rare thing of which you as a church long before i came should be incredibly proud of i remember when i went to church when i was a kid there was a lady by the name of mrs hibner her assignment was merely to welcome kids every sunday she welcomed me every sunday she pinched my cheek every sunday She told me she was praying for me. I believe her. I can tell you my Sunday school teachers' names. I can tell you my youth pastor that showed up to wrestling matches and track meets and football games. I can tell you of the man who went with me when I had to make a a significant confrontation of a family member And he drove eight hours with me and he sat in the car as I had to deal with this relational issue. And he prayed for me and then we turned around and we took the eight hour drive back. Your staff and many of you are here are because people who were older than you did not see serving you As a threat to their existence. They loved you. And they invested in you. That's what a church for the city does. Church for the city. We will gather next week. And we will serve in our community. And if you haven't signed up for that. You can do that online. You can join an army of people. That will bless 20 some different sites in the city. But probably more importantly than that. is to look into this bulletin that was handed out to you that, uh, my goodness, there's more information in this bulletin than Wikipedia. And what you're going to find in this is a number of opportunities in midweek and a score of other places to serve, to invest in the next generation. It may not be just with children. It may be young adults who are older than children. It may be uh, other men. It may be other women. But that's what a church for the city does. It tells stories about God's greatness and teaches truth about who God is. Why? So that when you and I depart from this place, this church still exists. That when we can no longer teach, when we can no longer fulfill our assignments. We have trained up the next generation. That's what a church for the city does. Yes, we spread bark dust. Yes, we pull weeds. But more than anything, we plant the gospel in the hearts of children who come behind us. That's what a church for the city does. Let's pray.